Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for the morning of Friday, December 13th, the day after Vancouver outlasts the Carolina Hurricanes and comes away with a one nothing overtime victory, a game in which Jacob Markstrom may have played the greatest game of his career. In fact, I don't think that's a may have. I would have a very hard time coming up with any game in which Jacob Markstrom was better than he was last night against Carolina. And I guess I can break down a little bit of what happened on Tuesday night against the Toronto Maple Leafs as well, given that I did not put out a post-gamer for that contest, despite the fact that I told you that I would, and I'm sorry about that, but uh, I had planned to record the post-game show uh, after the game is over, which is what I typically do. It's what I'm doing right now, in fact, uh, having wrapped up my post-game duties following uh, Canucks versus Hurricanes This evening, last night, I guess, as you're listening to it, and really last night as I record it, given it is the middle of the night and well after midnight. But uh, I got called into work about two hours early to work the entire broadcast, the entire pregame show uh, on Tuesday ahead of the Leafs game. And uh, that meant that I worked a a seven-and-a-half-hour shift, and by the end of it, I was just exhausted and decided that uh, post-game can wait. And by the next morning came around, I figured, you know what, I I, I don't really have a ton to say about this game anyways. What am I going to do? Talk for 20 minutes about how it's ridiculous that anyone thinks that Vancouver is further ahead of Toronto in the rebuilding process. I mean, yes, I probably could have talked about that for 20 minutes. I'll probably talk about it a little bit right now before we get into last night's game against Carolina because that is ridiculous that there's anybody out there who would vote no in a poll question to would you trade rosters with the Maple Leafs. I mean, yes, I understand. You are emotionally attached to the players here in Vancouver. And I even understand, you know, Sadier Shaw, a friend of mine, host on Sportsnet 650, saying if he had the opportunity to draft, uh, you know, players from these respective lineups, he might be inclined to go with Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes 1 and 2 overall in a draft of Vancouver and Toronto's rosters. That doesn't necessarily mean, however, that Toronto doesn't have the better roster. And in fact, you had people on Tuesday night after the Canucks lost 4-1 to and didn't look good at all in that game. Yes, they had a number of breakaway chances and odd man rushes in the third period when they were really pressing hard, but Frederick Anderson, for as many saves as he made against Vancouver on Tuesday, never really looked like he was sweating it necessarily the way Jacob Markstrom was against the Hurricanes on Thursday because uh, I don't want to bag on Brock Besser, but there there has to be some concern at this point that his shot just simply does not have the kind of zip on it right now that it did uh, last year or certainly in his rookie season. And hey, maybe that... Uh, It just reinforces the fact that uh, as much as we bemoaned the uh, management's decision here in Vancouver to not hand Brock a uh, long-term agreement to keep him locked up here with the Canucks, that they went with the bridge deal to kind of see what they have, maybe that's not the worst option right now because uh, that wrist has had some injuries over the last couple seasons, and the shot 
is missing some zip. It doesn't look like what it once was, which isn't to say that it can't be that again, that he can't get that shot back, that he can't be, you know, uncorking wristers like a Marcus Nasland in his prime, the way he looked certainly in his rookie season. But it's a bit off right now. Yes, he had breakaway chances, but they weren't really of the barn burner variety. Uh, there were a number of breakaways in that game, obviously. And yes, Elias Pettersson hit a couple crossbars, hit a couple posts. Uh, you know, I, it might have been one crossbar, one post. Regardless, he rung some iron. There, are, There's a variation of that game if we want to get into quantum hockey where, sure, the Canucks score on all of their key chances, and that's a tie game 3-3 heading into overtime Tuesday night against the Leafs, that is. But that's not what we got, and that's not really what the Canucks deserved either. They were talking after the game about how they deserved better, and I really don't think that's true. Like, yes, Vancouver came out of the gate with jump. They were skating hard, and the Toronto Maple Leafs certainly were not doing that in the opening frame on Tuesday night, but that doesn't mean that they outplayed them. That doesn't mean that they were the better team on the whole. I did not think Vancouver was the better team on Tuesday night at all. I didn't even think Vancouver was the better team last night against the Carolina Hurricanes. They have not been necessarily playing well of late. There have been some real warts in their game, and look, I think there needs to be some concern about the fact that Even though they got the win last night and Jacob Markstrom played out of his mind to make sure that he stole it for them, uh, this is a team that looks like it struggles against, you know, actually good teams in the NHL. They have gotten some huge wins. They've played some very exciting games, but a lot of those wins have come against bottom feeders. A lot of those wins have come against teams that struggle enormously defensively. It seems like anytime they play someone who actually plays defense, who has a strong defensive core or uh, defensive approach to the game. This is something that I've bemoaned many times, I feel like, over the last several weeks here on the show, certainly over the month of November. They have a hard time with it. They cannot crack through teams that play not even stifling defense, just really any sort of defense at all. I mean, you look at Carolina last night, that's not a game necessarily that was insanely defensive. Yes, the Canes have a very stacked defensive core. Yes, they have a number of good defensemen. But Peter Mrazek was kicking out pucks left, right, and center. That is a goalie who could not control his rebounds for even one second in last night's action. And yet Vancouver again and again and again could not get anything going. It seemed like an enormous amount of time had passed in that contest. Maybe halfway through the game, Vancouver only had seven shots on goal against the Hurricanes last night. That's not acceptable. That's certainly not acceptable against a team with a goalie like that who's going to be giving you second-chance opportunities. And I think the Canucks even had some second-chance opportunities. So really, when you look at you know, seven shots through the midway point of the game, how many of those came on rebounds? So how many actual opportunities did you get towards the net in the first place in terms of, you know, I I know that a rebound isn't necessarily a separate scoring chance. That's not what I'm trying to say. But how many of those shots came within the same sort of moment in the game, which means how many moments, how many long stretches were there in last night's action where Vancouver generated absolutely nothing? And that's sort of how I felt against the Maple Leafs as well. Yes, they were skating hard. They were, you know, working harder than the Leafs maybe in the first period, but it didn't lend itself to actual scoring chances. And I had a real bad feeling 
last night against the Hurricanes when you get handed three power play opportunities in the opening frame and you don't, not only do you not make good on any of them, you barely generate any shots on any of them. Vancouver has a top power play in the league, not the top power play in the league, but they've scored the most power play goals and they've had the most power play opportunities. Now that happens when you move your feet and you control the puck well, so they're clearly doing something right to be drawing penalties at an elite level like that, but this is a power play that has really, again, in much the same way that the offense has feasted and these wins have come against sort of lowly bottom-feeding teams, there aren't a ton of games that you can point at where Vancouver has played against top competition and their power play has necessarily been all that effective. And that should be concerning as we approach the midway point of the season. And this is a team that has playoff ambitions. This is a team that should, you know, be on the cusp of making the playoffs, if not right there in the playoff picture, or at least wants to be. If you want to be in that spot, you have to actually beat good teams. And the Canucks have more often than not, not done that over the course of this season. Carolina is a good team, and they narrowly escaped with a victory. So I realize this is a criticism that comes at an odd time, perhaps, to uh, lay it on them when they did exactly what I wanted them to do. But uh, it's still something that's valid, I think, because, I mean, there is a version of this game, if we want to talk about quantum hockey, where Carolina walks away with the victory, where the refs do not prematurely blow the whistle on a delayed penalty call, and Sebastian Ajo actually does score the goal that he scored against Jacob Markstrom. Now, you could say that that would change the entire complexion of the game and the Canucks would press in a different way than they wound up doing in the third period, uh, and that Vancouver very easily could have tied it up to force overtime. Yes, it changes everything that happened if you alter the score and the ref doesn't blow the whistle there. You know, when you look at it on paper, nobody scored a goal in regulation. Elias Pettersson wins the game in overtime. If Sebastian Ajo gets that goal, I mean, Rod Brindamore certainly believed that his team got hosed out of a victory because of that call. But uh, the real reason he got hosed out of victory was because of the stellar play of Jacob Markstrom. And we'll talk about Markstrom coming up in just a moment. A lot of players over the last couple games who have not necessarily played well. Uh, I spoke with Thomas Drantz on the show uh, over the weekend, last weekend, and most of that conversation was about Alex Burrows, but a bit of it was about Quinn Hughes as well and the opportunity that Hughes has to really assert himself right now as the front runner for the Calder Trophy. And to do that, he really needs to show that he can be a number one defenseman in his rookie year. Uh, That's a big ask, obviously, and I was very keen on his ability to do it, and so was Tom when we talked over the weekend. I had said that, you know, in years past, Alex Edler being out of the lineup for three weeks is what sinks the Canucks' seasons, and that's not happened, so credit to Quinn Hughes on that. He has stepped in and played reasonably well, uh, but the defense, despite the fact that I think Oscar Fantenberg is playing fantastically in a depth role and giving you exactly what you might want out of a number 6 defenseman, That's neither here nor there. Quinn Hughes has had two of his lesser games of the season. Actually, that's maybe not entirely fair. Yes, he did make some mistakes against the Toronto Maple Leafs on Tuesday, mistakes that did wind up with the puck inside of his own net. But, hey, 
So did JT Miller, and JT Miller has still been playing fantastic all season long as well. So I don't want to say that the mistakes that Quinn Hughes made cost the Canucks the game because ultimately when you look at Corsi and the, the amount of shots that the team generated with him on the ice, uh, there were a couple of guys that you could point to who had good games against the Maple Leafs on Tuesday, Quinn Hughes being one of them, Tyler Myers being one of them as well. Uh, Tanner Pearson, I thought, had a fine game despite the fact that he was perhaps caught lollygagging on the first Toronto goal of the game. And, uh, you know, obviously Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser uh, generated a fair amount in that game too. However, I did think Quinn Hughes and Tyler Myers struggled mightily on Thursday night against the Hurricanes. Might have been Hughes' worst game of the season in terms of just gaffes and giveaways and lapses. But hey, that is not to pick on him because it is hard to find almost anyone who played well up front last night, as skaters that is, because I know defensemen don't necessarily play up front. Though hey, sometimes Quinn Hughes certainly does. What I'm trying to say is if you wanted to find a Canuck who played well against Carolina on Thursday, you don't have to look much further than between the pipes. Jacob Markstrom was superlative, really. You could throw any superlative you want at that performance. Amazing, fantastic, incredible, astonishing. They all fit. He was something else. And you know what? For a game that was scoreless all game long until overtime, when Elias Pettersson scored uh, perhaps the nicest goal in NHL history, as friend of the show Doug Exeter points out, that Petey scored on the 69th shot of the game with 420 remaining in overtime. Nice, nice, very nice. Uh, But until then, it's not like the game was a dog. Far from it, in fact. The crowd was super engaged in this game. You can hear the audience buzzing through the television, through the radio, throughout basically the entirety of the third period, and definitely for all 40 seconds that overtime lasted. This was a crowd that was fired up and engaged in a game that really didn't give them very much offensively to be engaged by, but they knew as well as anyone at home, as well as anyone even listening to the game on radio did, that we were witnessing something special from Jacob Markstrom. Markstrom, I thought, actually was one of the Canucks who played well on Tuesday night against the Maple Leafs, too. Yes, they lost that game 4-1, but one of those goals is an empty netter, and uh, he was very sharp in the first period, I thought, certainly when Toronto woke up a little bit towards the end of the opening frame and had some grade-A scoring chances at the Vancouver net. But still, at the end of that game, Jacob Markstrom, as he tends to be time and time again, uh, was his harshest critic, his own harshest critic. And that's been, uh, you know, something that has been a, a common practice for him Over the last several years, certainly since he became the starter uh, two and a half years ago here in Vancouver, and you know, instead of trying to recap exactly what he said after Tuesday night's action, I know this is a couple games ago, but it really factors into how he performed uh, last night against Carolina. So here it is, Jacob Markstrom's post-game media availability after the game against the Maple Leafs. I mean, uh, I think they're very, oh, they were pretty effective today. I I thought we played a, a great game and. You know, obviously, uh, you know, I, I got to come up and, and make some saves. And, you know, late in the second and uh, and late in, in the third, that's when you got to come up with some stops, and I didn't. And, you know, that's why we lost today. The team played it played a great game. You know, the team has to make a push down 2 nothing. but did you find at times in the game you guys maybe got caught trading chances? 
No, not really. I thought we played a great game, and I think if we go back and look at it, it's you know it's going to be one of one of our better games this year. But you know, with zero points, it does feel too good. How do you stop a perfect deflection like the nurse? So there. I mean, it's you know, it's that's when it's frustrating. I'm telling yeah. Micey, Huggy's coming behind Micey when Micey comes and grabbing the puck, and I'm telling him to dink it in the wall. And you know, right when I'm yelling at him, Huggy goes uh, goes in front of the net. So you know, the, the, he kind of you know looks looks bad on Micey, but you know that's all on me. And then you know they score five seconds later. So you know, it's uh, you know it's all on me. It's all on me. That was one of our better games of the season, and it's entirely my fault. Well, no. It's not, and it was not one of their better games of the season. I did not think Vancouver played very well, and I've made that clear, obviously, over the previous 16 or so minutes here. Uh, But, you know, this is something that used to draw criticism from people in the media, especially during his first year as the starter uh, some two seasons ago now, when Markstrom did exactly that, you know, shouldered the load, shouldered the blame after tough losses, used to say that he played like shit, you know, did not shy away from being extremely critical of his own game. And there would be people in the media who would say, well, he can't be saying these things about himself. How are his teammates going to feel confidence in their goalie when their goalie doesn't have confidence in himself? Clearly, he is trying to take the heat off of his teammates in everything that he says when he says things like that. And this is part of what makes Jacob Markstrom great. This is what makes him motivated to improve and play the way that he wants to play because, you know, he talked last night about how he felt he made all of the adjustments in his game coming out of Tuesday's action that he didn't like about how he'd made certain reads and so on, etc. when he uh, addressed the media last night. I'm not going to play that one for you because that would just be four and a half minutes of Markstrom audio in this episode. You're going to have to trust me that he uh, addressed what he said uh, on on Tuesday in last night's comments and said that everything had basically made a complete uh, turnaround for him as far as how he felt about his own game. Look, this is a guy who needs to settle back into a groove here as well, and this performance couldn't come at a better time because obviously the team is going to be without Thatcher Demko for the foreseeable future. The Canucks' backup goalie suffered a concussion in practice on Wednesday. Mikey DiPietro has been recalled from Utica. He's going to be the backup for Markstrom over this weekend road trip down to California and then into Vegas. And uh, look, I wouldn't expect Michael DiPietro to see any action on this call-up. I mean, I guess that's entirely dependent on how long Thatcher Demko is going to be out for. But... Jacob Markstrom needs to get back into a groove here, and I don't say this as a slight. I think it's, you know, 100% the the best thing that could have happened for him to take the time away that he did, whether that was uh, to go visit his father in Sweden uh, while he was still alive, the leave of absence that he took early in the season, and the leave of absence he took most recently to go attend his father's funeral in Sweden. Not only do you need to take a break to go attend those things, but you can't just jump right in afterwards as well. Transatlantic travel like that going both ways within the span of a week is going to utterly drain you physically and mentally. And, you know, they, even when he came back, they took a little time to settle him back into the, the lineup. Demko probably played more games 
not probably, he definitely played more games than the team would have planned for over the stretch uh, that Markstrom was settling back in. But he needs to get into a groove right now, and I know that there has been some criticism of the fact that Markstrom played both games of the back-to-back prior to him leaving to attend his father's funeral, uh, and there's probably going to be criticism when he plays back-to-backs this weekend in San Jose and Vegas, but it is the right move. You know, not only can you rely on what Jacob Markstrom is giving you at perhaps, you know, 70-80% fatigue levels in the second night of a back-to-back, a little bit better than maybe you might be able to rely on Mikey DiPietro at the NHL level right now at this stage of his career, and that is not a slight to Mikey DiPietro, but really a compliment to exactly how great Jacob Markstrom can play when he is dialed in. But this team needs him to get back to his October form if they want to do exactly what I was talking about earlier, and that is start to knock off some good teams against tough competition in big games that this schedule has a lot of coming up here and really put themselves back into the playoff picture. It's what's best for Jacob Markstrom to help settle back into a groove and keep this thing going, and it's what's best for the team as well. And look, I don't think it's a coincidence that Markstrom had the kind of performance that he did on a night where his mother had flown over from Sweden to be with him and be in the audience to watch him. You know, he doesn't want to answer questions about his father, and that is absolutely his right. Nobody should be asking him anything that he's not comfortable talking about, but I think there is a good chance that a performance like that was a tribute uh, to his father because, I mean... That was the game of his life. And with his mom watching on and his dad watching on from above as well, uh, he had all kinds of motivation to put on a performance like that. And speaking of people looking on from above, uh, I mentioned this in my interview earlier this week with Stephen Hocko when we were talking about the Botchford Project and how these Botchford games have gone in Vancouver so far this year. Last night's was the third such game. And if you missed my conversation yesterday with Sarah Sivian, uh, where Sarah and I in the final 10 minutes of that chat really got into uh, Botch's legacy beyond Vancouver and the way he helped writers uh, outside of the local scene, you know, right across the, the athletic network or even anybody really who may have come to him for help over the years, uh, I strongly recommend that you do go back and listen to that one because uh, it is still relevant uh, even after the fact. We didn't really preview the game at all. We just talked about the Hurricanes and spent a good amount of time talking about botch as well. So uh, go back and listen to that one if you missed it yesterday. Uh, But let me get back on track here. Uh, Speaking of Botchford, there have been, you know, a number of coincidences or uh, odd happenings, so to speak, you know, like an invisible hand kind of guiding the outcome of these Botchford Project games, handing these people, uh, the writers who have been selected in the fellowship, the exact perfect uh, things to happen uh, relevant to the narrative that they've come into the games looking to write about. Now, that's not the case necessarily for Natalie Hoy, who was there covering the game for the Botchford Project last night. I believe Natalie wanted to write about uh, the defensive impact about of, of centers. The defensive impact of centers like Bo Horvat and Jay Beagle. Those are the two players that she spoke to before the game. I guess she got herself something of a defensive battle with two goalies going head-to-head in a scoreless game heading into overtime last night. But the goal itself was 
you know, seemingly divine intervention, the way Elias Pettersson scores that one and gets his 100th point of his career. A magical moment that you could not recreate, honestly. If you put both teams on the ice again and had them replay overtime with the specific intention of trying to get the exact same result, make the exact same things happen that happened last night, 40 seconds into the extra frame, you couldn't do it in a million tries. You would never be able to recreate this goal because Jacob Slavin loses his stick, and that stick comes sliding to a perfect halt at an exact angle near the left hash marks of the right circle. And Besser, along the boards, hears Pedersen coming, hears him hollering perhaps, and makes a back pass from along the wall that hits Jacob Slavin's fallen stick and uses it essentially as like a ramp in a Rube Goldberg machine. You would never be able to recreate this bounce, ever, in a thousand years, the way this puck kind of ramps off the stick and the way the stick shifts direction and the way that it's angled and the way it moves the puck as the puck hits it. It comes perfectly to Elias Pettersson's stick because Pettersson makes a guess at how it's going to react when it hits the stick, and his guess is exactly perfectly correct. And then he goes up high uh, over the shoulder of Peter Mrazek to end the game 40 seconds into OT. If that's not magic, if that's not some form of divine intervention, look, these things happen within games, obviously. Uh, Weird bounces, so on, etc., But I watched that goal, and I watched the way that stick slides and comes to a halt and then acts as a pinball bumper, essentially, for how that puck moves. I'm mesmerized by it. It is magical. It is something, uh, you know, otherworldly, perfectly fitting uh, for the alien Elias Pettersson, but uh, perfectly fitting for Jason Botchford Knight as well. And uh, I want to believe that my friend had something to do with that reaching out from the great beyond to make that stick do exactly what it did. Might sound corny to you, but uh, it's a nice thought for me. That's our show for the day, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm surprising myself here. I thought I'd forgotten how to do these solo shows. Hope you enjoyed me riding uh, solo once again. I will have great guests coming up, and I will have another show for you over the weekend after Saturday's action in San Jose. So look forward to that on Sunday morning. Uh, And thank you so much for being with me throughout the week here. Enjoy your Friday. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your lives. Enjoy yourselves. Uh, I'm so glad that you choose to be here with me and listen to me ramble about hockey uh, with my friends and sometimes by myself each and every day here on this show. I do want to ask you, as I always do, to head on over to the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you happen to get the program. Give us a rating. Give us a review. I like reading nice things about myself, and I I like seeing the show kind of shoot up the algorithms and help people find it and uh, help people listen to it every single day, just like you do. Heck, you can always quote, tweet it, and uh, give it a plug on Twitter as well. If you're so inclined, you can find the show on Twitter at LockedOnCanucks. I am at Justin Morris. That's M-O-R-I-S. Until Sunday morning, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.